Hit it. John Amson, and I want to welcome you to the next podcast in a series of podcasts presented uh, by the Psychologist Association of Alberta. The purpose of the podcast is to present uh, information that is timely, topical, and even controversial. Um, that said, under the um, category of poor taste, I led in with a James Brown song called Doing It to Death because today we're going to talk about suicide. And uh, I'm trying to find some way I could, you know, get into that with a song that's sort of related, but I, I, I grabbed this one and I apologize for the offense that would be associated with it. Um, that said, we've got um, a couple of articles uh, and, a, and a couple of topics out of those articles that are really interesting. Um, as a preface to this, I want to make reference to a podcast I did a while back. In the late 90s, early turn of the century, the Psych uh, Bulletin, the Psych Bulletin I consider a flagship uh, that is that when something is in no better when something when something is in the uh, in the uh, uh, psych bulletin we consider that to be uh, money in the bank. In other words, it has a great deal of scrutiny, and um, only the articles that seem to be merited will ever get published in that. So. Uh, uh, I, I want to first build it up because what it showed in that turn of the century, late 90s, early turn of the century article was that we are no better than chance at predicting suicide. That is, we have certain parameters we use, certain things we look at, uh, but has um, no, no, no better than, than chance in terms of being able to say who will execute and who won't. So I, I found some comfort in that, perversely, uh, because I think if any of us get ourselves into a situation where someone says, why didn't you do something, why didn't you know, why didn't you see it coming, we can make reference to the best state of the art that we have has not been able to as yet uh, predict those that will actually undertake suicide and those that won't. Nonetheless, the ongoing attention to this has increased in many, many ways the acuity we can bring to that task. So maybe, once again, the comfort that we have felt might be um, uh, now uh, done with. We might not be able to feel as comfortable with that article as we did before. The, um, uh, the two articles I'm looking at, principally, one was in the uh, BMJ, the uh, British Medical Journal, and the other one was in a journal called Crisis. And each of them touch upon the prediction of suicide, the probability of suicide, looking at the factors that relate. The article in Crisis is proposing that we create a suicide crisis syndrome in the DSM and use a number of criteria. I think they have 15, we'll, we'll go into the, each, each of them, run through them in a minute, that would be part of a rule in, rule out for being um, subject to this syndrome. In other words, we can't call the person this name, uh, that they are suffering from a suicide crisis syndrome unless they satisfy certain A and B criterion. Um, the the uh, other one, though, is of more interest, and it's an 11-item 
uh, algorithm that was developed and it's called the um, Ox Stats. And they have high statistical significance in predicting within six to 12 months who will actually undertake su a suicide um, following admission, uh, 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 admission to a hospital. In other words, they come into a hospital um, because they've had a self-injurious uh, event and that seems to be the, the trigger, the index that triggers this ox stats. The limitations to it are that the person has to have engaged in an act of self-injury, and then they can trigger this ox stats 11-item algorithm, and it will predict um, with uh, reliability the uh, likelihood of someone um, committing suicide within the next year, undertaking suicide. Um, there's no evidence in these articles about success or lack of success, but those who will make a serious attempt at taking their life. So let's dig into each of these. Um, let's start with the one that is not calibrated. In other words, it the, the, isn't an algorithm per se, but lists the 15 criteria that they think are very, very important to consider when one is looking at someone who's liable to undertake a self-injury, uh, liable to um, suicide. The article was also um, met with a rebuttal of sorts. Uh, uh, Cohen was the author of the first article, and it's a suicide-specific diagnosis, the case for. Then there was a contrasting article, the case against. And essentially the case against was we don't need further diagnostic categories. We just need to look at the behavioral indices that are associated with high risk for suicide and just include those in any assessment. In other words, uh, in the old days, they would say major depressive disorder, and then that flag would go up. This could be suicidal. And these people propose that then we look at these 15 criteria and, uh, uh, and then use that uh, to call it a syndrome. Uh, the case against says we don't need that. I've already said this. What we need is just to list those things, look at them, and uh, then you can speak about the high probability, high risk potential for suicide. Um, one of the criticisms have been, has been about this clinical approach is that um, it may overrepresent individuals. In other words, it may be a net with too fine of a mesh and catch way too many that are unlikely to suicide um, and that we need something that is very specific that has to do with probabilities, not the typical high risk, moderate risk, low risk that most of us turn to. Uh, this is a medical model. It has to do with things like um, cardiovascular disease. So they can have a patient come in and a medical practitioner can look at a number of parameters, um, um, and, uh, uh, body mass index, diet, um, uh, cholesterol levels, and all of that. And they will say, you are at moderately high risk for cardiovascular disease, high risk or whatever. But that doesn't give you the probability per se of having that happen. In other words, the desire is to go from just the indices that can be associated with risk uh, to something that is probabilistic. And that will be the second article because they claim to have been able to now determine probabilistically. But let's look at the um, syndrome, uh, these the, the folks that are proposing a DSM diagnosis, and then the 15 criteria that they list. Because even if we don't use the second approach, the um, algorithm that gives probability, at least we'll be informed regarding those things that are associated with higher risk, you know, low, moderate, or high risk for uh, 
uh, taking one's life. Try to read these slowly in case you want to actually write them down and, and have them before you as an ongoing uh, source of contemplation. Um, what they're proposing is under criterion A is, uh, there are three, um, uh, sorry, two, two predominant issues. The first is an entrapment and a frantic hopelessness. I like that because in my most recent patient that I lost, there was extreme entrapment and frantic hopelessness, a recurring cogitation around, no, 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 I'm trapped. I've done horrible things because of these things that I've done, because the way I've acted, because of the circumstance, I can never get away. The second is persistent or recurring overwhelming feelings of urgency to escape the life situation. I have to do something. In other words, um, I can't bear this. The urgency is this sense of I've got to get out of this and I've got to get out as quickly as possible. And then they go into the <clears throat> um, decompensation and spinning down, spinning down. I like those two criteria because they certainly are familiar to those of us who have lost patience. Then this symptom, this affective disturbance in general, has to be uh, at least one symptom from each of the criterion B group, all right? So affective disturbance is group one. They call it B1. Emotional pain, depressive turmoil, and spikes of negative emotion, extreme anxiety, dissociation, and acute ahedonia. That is, I cannot find moments of pleasure in my life. The extreme anxiety can even, as I said, be associated with, uh, uh, involve dissociation. That is suddenly being completely beside oneself in a way so that they're, they're not um, entirely, um, uh, uh, my eyes are coming up again, um, they're not entirely present and can engage in behaviors during that period of time that are uh, self-injurious or otherwise um, not, in, not consistent with what would be their normal patterns of behavior. All right, uh, B2, loss of cognitive control. I just touched on that a little bit already. At least one of the following, ruminations, and this goes into the things above, intense persistent rumination about one's behavior, one's actions that brought on distress. Cognitive rigidity, an inability to dissociate from that rigid sense of, you know, this is all that's real in my life. Failed thought suppression, uh, often in treatment, we're working on trying to increase cognitive inhibition relative to this stuff, but failed thought uh, uh, suppression, unable to not attend uh, to disturbing thoughts. And then ruminative flooding, overwhelming panic accompanied by a sensation of pressure or pain um, in one's um, uh, current circumstance regarding information that they can take in, are um, making decisions about things that all of a sudden uh, it's the yeah but yeah but yeah but okay so what I need you to do is learn to regulate this sense of this feeling that's arising in you and they look at you and they kind of nod so, so I need you to take a breath I need you to uh, drop your shoulders and they look at you and go oh yeah but you know again I tried everything say in other words there's an there's lack of ability to inhibit and the ruminative flooding um, the last criteria three is disturbance in, in, um, in, in arousal. So we'll go through those criteria and, uh, and then we'll move on to our next article. Talk about when they talk about disturbance in arousal is there has to be at least one of the following. Agitation, hypervigilance, irritability, global insomnia, 
and a constellation of those is possible, at least one of them there, but often they will all go together. Um, so problems with sleep, and then this hypervigilant irritability and agitation, so that as they're suffering, um, they may be uh, almost uh, paranoid. You know, this kind of, well, what's going on? Why are you people doing this? What, what, what do you mean when you say this? How does this affect me? So in the treatment, in the interactions, there can be um, a sense of you're not you're, you're not really taking this serious you don't really see everything that's there and that's the irritability factor um, one of the criteria that I thought was really interesting when I was doing some background on this was the transference issue with the clinician how irritated are we by the presentation of the patient and you can see how um, as many of these things come together we can be irritated we can want to withdraw we can be um, uh, frustrated in our ability to affect the patient or have them respond to any of the treatment uh, options and the treatment interventions and so on. So I thought that was a really secondarily interesting criteria. How irritating is this patient to me relative to their, um, their agitation? Um, more than once I've had families say to me after a patient has taken their life, well there's a sense of relief. I had a family that came to see me after the schizophrenic son took his life, and the mother said, I can't tell anybody else this. Everybody's so sympathetic, so kind to us, but I'm, I'm, I'm relieved because of the constellation of symptoms that the patient continually inflicted upon, upon them uh, as a parent. Um, I, I, I didn't uh, represent this very well, because as I was going through it here, I have a a sheet that came out of the article, and there is a fourth, a B4 <coughs> criteria, and they say, manifest by at least one of these, withdrawal from a reduction in the scope of physical activity, and evasive communication with others. So one or the other of those, so a person will withdraw from their normal uh, uh, social cohort, or they'll have um, uh, evasive communication with others. In both of these articles, it is extremely important to note that suicidal ideation, so when you talk to the patient about do you feel like killing yourself or do you have a suicide plan, this has been a cornerstone of much of our stuff. Have you, do you have a plan in place or have you talked uh, or, or do you think you'll kill yourself? Often the patient may have a plan in place or they may deny they have any suicidal idea. No, I won't kill myself. Oh, I thought I would drive my car off a bridge or something. Neither of those are predictive. So when people say, noted patient did not have, patient denied suicidal intent, they say that in article after article, it's been shown that even where the patient has denied suicidal ideation, they have gone ahead and taken their life. So those cornerstones no longer are, are merited. Uh, the patient said they didn't intend to kill themselves, so therefore I consider them at moderate risk at best, and the patient takes their life. All right, so now we have a, a, you know, a robust list of symptoms and uh, behavioral patterns and symptoms, uh, both, um, uh, um, oops, hang on for a second, I'm gonna pause because I just got a, a you know, when I do this, I do it on my computer, and I, when I'm doing, the, not Zoom, but uh, we use the Jane system when I'm doing meetings, emails pop up, texts pop up, 
phone calls, you know, all manifest right before your eyes. So I'm going to get back to you in a minute because I think there's an important sort of thing coming in. All right, I'm back. Um, you guys were more important than that. Uh, but it did, uh, it came from a healthcare provider who I consult with and will occasionally want to um, uh, talk to me about a, a patient or a referral. Okay, so, but you guys are more important than what just came in. All right, now, the money shot today is this um, Oxstats. And it is a scale that is used uh, to predict suicide after self-harm. So as I already said, the index concern is there has to be self-harm. In other words, the patient has to have engaged in a behavior that would then make them eligible to go through this particular algorithm. And what, what they have are um, very specific historical and actuarial data, point, data points. Um, if you're familiar with the hair psychopathy checklist, there are the clinical impressions, but then there's the actuarial or historical. Um, and if you're fair with, familiar with Marnie Rice and her prediction of recidivism in sex offenders, uh, dangerousness, these are, they, they use purely, she uses purely actuarial stuff. You never have to meet the patient. You don't have to know anything about them other than answer this series of questions and with some uh, uh, high, high degree of accuracy. We'll get into that with this one in a minute. You can predict uh, recidivism among sex offenders, um, acts of violence, and, and uh, with this you can predict within 6 to 12 months who's more likely to um, try to end their life. So uh, let's go through this. It's online and you, could, you can find this thing, O-X-S-A-T-S, -O Oxstats, and you can, you can uh, put your patient in it. The recent patient I lost, or the most recent, I shouldn't keep talking like this is a regular thing for me, uh, the person that most recently, I, I put their stuff in it and bam, up it came. And it was at uh, elevated, uh, the term used was elevated, um, uh, risk. So the probability of risk was was very high. <clears throat> so let's go through it. Okay, the first two are age and sex. So you would enter that into the, the, the system. And then it says um, uh, current or lifetime drug or um, uh, uh, alcohol uh, disorder, including acute intoxication. Uh, and then the second is current or lifetime drug, drug use disorder. These are, of course, uh, related to impulse self-management. Um, the next one is any psychotropic medication in the past three months. In other words, have, have they been put on medication to try to treat whatever disorder would be their presenting complaint? And then has there been any overdoses related to psychotropic medication? Another criteria that was really interesting, hanging, strangulation, or suffocation. In other words, in their self-harm, did they engage in those sorts of behaviors? And uh, that rates then accordingly in the algorithm as they're looking at this uh, sense of risk. Any lifetime history of self-harm prior to the index uh, present, present concern. So in other words, if the person has cut themselves, have they cut themselves in the past? If they've tried to choke uh, themselves, have they done this in the past? So looking at any previous or lifetime history. Then, has the self-harm taken place in the 12, in, in 12 months prior to the index concern? So in other words, is there a 12-month proximity to the most recent one? Was there an overnight admission? In other words, they were worried enough that the person would have spent time in the hospital. 
any other psychiatric disorder except substance use disorders in the past 12 months. So um, uh, rule out substance abuse. Have there been other diagnoses regarding the person in the, 12, the past 12 months? Then they say probability of suicide within six months, a percent. And they do this uh, a weird pre uh, percentage thing, and it may be a, a European sort of scale, and they look at um, less than one or higher than one, and then they say, out of just these things that we've talked about, the 11, um, uh, what is the chance? And it says the probability of suicide in this was very elevated, probably the person I entered, probability of self-harm, was also very elevated. So the probability factor, not, not simply kind of saying, you know, low, moderate, or high, as we use in, in, in diagnosis with the other criteria. With this, they're saying, oh yeah, that's very elevated. The baseline suicide risk um, is uh, within six months is if you get a 0.7%. If, if, again, let me say it again, they have this, it's a 0.7%. It's they predict that within six months, if it's one zero percent within 12 months. Now they base this on a really large sample. And if there's a limitation, perhaps it's the population. This was done in Sweden. And uh, they started with over 50,000, broke this down to a 35,000 cohort. And uh, so it's a, it's a lot of numbers. And they were looking at people as young as 10, 10 and over. So this covers a wide spectrum of uh, uh, potential suicide, uh, suicide, right? Um, and that's probably in its favor, as opposed to simply women or men, uh, 25 to 50, or, 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 you know, our typical the university student syndrome, where so much research is conducted on uh, university students, which may not then generalize into other populations. So it's pretty large. Also, I was laughing about it because the Scandinavian countries. Um, have been notorious for having a higher suicide rate attributed to the northern issues, northern climate. Uh, and so we got to look at Canada, I guess, in that regard. I'll look this up afterwards to find out if suicide rates go up in northern latitudes um, and if Canada is included in that. But uh, nonetheless, they, they, they use Scandinavians. And what they found was with this algorithm with these 11 questions and then this what I just showed here where it said see the probability of self-harm within 12 months for the patient I used and this was a three so all of a sudden if it's 0.7 that's that's within six months and if it's one it's within 12 months well these were twos and threes percent right so this was very very high so this would have predicted for this patient really, really well the probability he would uh, take his life, and he did. So uh, that, that said, uh, they look at a success rate of about 70%. That means that, that, that 70% means that um, uh, seven times out of 10, they are right in using this algorithm. So there is an error rate uh, uh, you know, of, of that 30%. So you're gonna be wrong 30%, but anything that has this big of a grasp on a population predictably is really, really valuable. So, so there it is, the latest stuff sort of on, on suicide. And uh, I think this is useful to us because once again, we have comfort and we're not very good at predicting this, but if we wanna demonstrate a little, that we do it a little bit better, we now have the 15 parts, uh, 15 criteria that would be part of a syndrome if the syndrome is accepted. And here, 11, very specific, 
demographic historical questions that this instrument claims uh, can have um, seven times out of ten determine who's going to take their life. So I'm um, uh, trying to use a, a bit more redeeming um, song to march us out. We'll listen to this one back to 